Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, March 29th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's what you need to know today. Opening statements in Minneapolis begin in the trial over the killing of George Floyd. Plus, voting rights, gun control, and infrastructure. The week ahead in Washington. But first, the record number of migrant children expected at the border is today's one big thing. It's looking like this month we'll see the highest numbers of migrant children crossing the border in U.S. history. And Axios' Steph Kite is reporting the Biden administration is preparing for even more children in the coming months. Hi, Steph. How does this compare to previous years? Well, the last time we saw a record month for unaccompanied minors crossing the border was in 2019. We saw more than 11,000 children cross the border without their parents or their legal guardians. But we're expected to break that record this month as we finish out March, and we're expected to see those record-breaking numbers every single month through at least September, according to government documents that I obtained. So what's the immediate need the Biden administration is facing now? The most immediate need is just space to hold these kids. When it comes to unaccompanied minors, there's a very specific process that the government has to follow. And the Department of Health and Human Services has a network of shelters that are designed to care for children, but they continue to run out of space to hold these children, which is forcing thousands of them to wait in these border facilities that are not intended to hold children at all and certainly not for long periods of time. And Steph, you said projections are that this will be like this for months What are we expecting for the coming months, for the summer? I mean, we're certainly expecting the administration to be working as hard as they can to open up more overflow facilities. We're already expecting them to open up space for an additional 5,000 kids using sites on military bases. I think we'll see more and more of that as they search for places where they can set up shelters, set up tents in order to just have a safer place for kids. The other thing we're expecting to see from the administration is for them to more quickly release children, at least some children, to their parents who are already in the U.S. Lots of times migrants come to the border and even have a number for a relative who's already in the U.S. So in those situations, the administration has talked about wanting to more quickly release kids to create more space for additional kids coming in. What are you watching for next? I am really just watching these numbers. This is unheard of numbers of children coming across the border, and I think everyone is very concerned for the safety of these kids, especially if the administration isn't able to set up enough shelters or if they end up releasing kids too quickly and not having proper vetting procedures. So for me, I'm just really watching to make sure that the administration does anything they can to make sure that these kids are taken care of. Steph Kite covers immigration for Axios. Thanks, Steph. Thanks for having me. In 15 seconds, all eyes are on Minneapolis as the trial over George Floyd's killing begins. Welcome back to Axios Today. This morning, the trial over the killing of George Floyd begins in Minneapolis. Former police officer Derek Chauvin, who is white, is charged with three counts of murder and manslaughter of Floyd, an unarmed black man. It's the highest profile case of police brutality since Rodney King in 1991. And Axios' Twin Cities reporter Tori Van Oot is covering the trial for us. Tori, opening statements begin this morning. Can you give us a sense of what we expect both the prosecution and the defense to say? Yeah, we expect the major themes of this case to be what actually killed George Floyd on Memorial Day of last year. Was it former Officer Chauvin with his knee on his neck for that eight plus minutes of that video we've all seen? Or was it an 
combination of other factors, pre-existing medical conditions, drug use. And we're going to hear the prosecution argue that it was Chauvin's actions that caused George Floyd's death. We'll hear Chauvin's defense say that it was actually these other factors that were really to blame. Tori, the jury selection has been going on for two weeks now. How did that go? It was fascinating. (laughs) As you said, it took over two weeks. We've got 12 jurors and two alternates in the end here. The jury is more diverse than your usual jury. It's also more diverse than Hennepin County as a whole, which is kind of notable given the elements of race in this case. Jurors are anonymous, but we have some basic background information about them, their race, their age, their occupation from the questioning. It could be hard to find a jury who isn't familiar with this video, right? Everybody has heard about the case. So the main question for the attorneys and the judge in the jury selection was, can we find a fair and impartial jury of people who can put aside their views and listen to the facts presented at the trial and make a decision and deliver a verdict based on the letter of the law, that's what they're hoping for. And that's what everybody is going to be watching over these next few weeks. This entire trial has already and will be live streamed. Tori, you live in South Minneapolis, where George Floyd was killed and where the majority of the protests happened. What is it like for the entire world to be paying attention to your city? It feels really, really high stakes around the world here already. As you said, everyone is watching. You know, as you drive around South Minneapolis, you can still see the remnants of the civil unrest from last year. There are lots that have been totally burned down and fencing around police stations in in anticipation of potential more civil unrest. There's a lot of community trauma still. You know, you talk to people, especially in marginalized communities and communities that have been targeted by police violence in the past. This trial is bringing up a lot for them, too. And so it's a tense time here in Minneapolis, and everybody's just watching really closely to see what the outcome is here. This trial has really become a symbol of this broader reckoning that we've all been going through, especially over the past 10 months, over race and justice in America. And so it's become bigger than this case itself in a lot of ways. Tori Van Oot is a Twin Cities reporter for Axios. Thank you, Tori. Thanks. Congress is in recess for the spring holidays for the next two weeks. But of course, that doesn't mean politics in Washington have stopped. Elena Trina Zaxios is White House and congressional reporter. Good morning, Elena. Can you tell us three things you're watching for this week? Good morning, Nyla. Yes, Congress is out for the next two weeks. The Senate has joined the House, which had recess for one week already for the next several weeks, or what we're calling it as spring break for lawmakers. One of The key things that we're looking for right now is what's going to happen with the gun reform debate. A lot of lawmakers, Democrats in particular, are worried that because now that they're out of session, they might lose some steam on taking advantage of the political climate around gun reform right now following the two mass shootings in Atlanta and Boulder. Another big thing is the voting rights package. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer laid out that that would be one of the first things that they take up when they return It's going to be an uphill battle. It's going to be hard for Democrats to get the necessary votes in order to pass this. Lots of talk around whether they'll end up having to change the filibuster or even eliminate it in order to pass that package. And then, of course, infrastructure. Infrastructure is the next big thing that the White House is pushing. We'll see President Biden is planning to outline his plan for his infrastructure bill. He's definitely been in contact with a lot of Democrats about how to move forward and and gaining more support for that bill. 
Elena Treen is Axios' White House and congressional reporter. By now, I'm guessing you've heard about the ever-given cargo ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal last Tuesday. The reason they call this a mega ship is because, well, it is. It was built in 2018, and if you stood the ever-given upright, it would be bigger than the Eiffel Tower and about the same size as the Empire State Building. It holds more than 18,000 shipping containers. And here's one more thing. For every hour the ship has blocked the Suez Canal, the BBC says it's costing a holdup of $400 million worth of goods. That's all we've got for you today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter. My handle's Nyla Boodoo. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.